Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I am just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good brother, my good Brosif and buddy. I love it. Uh, executive producer Cameron McCoy, friend. You're, it's seeming a little bit lighter in your office. It's probably because we're recording during the day. Amazing. Yeah, it's weird actually. The the light coming in. It's it's beautiful right now. Yeah. Um, Sorry about missing last week, guys. I had a, a family medical thing pop off that was everyone is very okay, but it really uh, inhibited our ability to record something. So uh, we're back at it this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, a million small things, I guess I would say, happened with um, Magic the Gathering last week. Um, we are going to talk about some stuff. I want to dive into March of the Machines and. We're going to have to talk about this Lord of the Rings set sometime, but I kind of need to scaffold my way up to that. So we're going to talk about that next week probably too. Um, But Cameron, you've been playing, or we haven't chatted in two weeks. Yeah. I would assume you've played some Magic the Gathering between here and there. What have you been up to, man? I've been playing a wee bit of uh, Magic the Gathering, and uh, everything's flipped. I've completely, like at least for the past week, have not even touched... Um, explore, pioneer, anything along those lines. It's all just been standard. Um, I could not tell you that standard's actually in a good place or not. I mean, Fable the Mirror Breaker is still a thing. You know, Black Red is still a thing. I mean, there's like plenty of things that are still there. Uh, But the introduction of Toxic has created just like a, a... slightly new element that um has made it feel fresh where i'm playing against like a lot of blue black proliferate decks Mm -hmm. um various different other toxic type decks um which have game against um i I think things like grixis midrange esper midrange wedding announcement, that sort of thing. I still think um, Fable of Mirror Breaker is <laughs> on a slightly different power curve than, um, surprisingly, any poison counters you can actually be putting on your opponent. Right. It's insane to think about that. But um, anyway, I've been playing a lot of this green-white uh, poison, green-white toxic deck. Um, <clears throat> and, dude, I've been having just a blast with this. This is super low to ground, super aggro. You're all about crawling course venerated uh rot, rot priest which is like the w- one green that anytime anything you target or somebody else's targets they get a poison counter so um use this with a whole bunch of different types of spells that either give your um your creatures um shroud hexproof you know or mm-hmm. anything along those lines indestructible and you're just racking up the counters on top of just creating kind of a density of threats. Um, this is the deck that I think where Skrelv's Hive, which is the Bitter Blossom variant, really shines. Um, you know, I was for the longest time trying to figure out how to make like an Esper type, mainly like a Fairies type deck, um, and make it a little bit more tempo-y. Um, I don't think with Skrelv's Hive, that's the way you want to be going. It's much more suited to the low to the ground, just go fast. Um, and so that's what I've been doing and having some really good success. Once again, kind of went all the way through the, uh, the platinums. Um, so I've been having really good success with this deck. So, um, yeah, uh, green, white toxic for the win. Are you playing the mother runes variant? The, 
Is that Screv? Uh, the one... <laughs> It's not Mother of Runes. It's called Annex Century is the one that I'm using, which is it, it, you can remove a, a creature that's three or less, but nothing like Mother of Runes as there, far as there is, there is a Mother of Runes one or two drop that does okay. that. Um, but I, I, it might not fit in the kind of go wide scheme that you're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, I've actually played against uh, Infect in Green White Infect in Explore. Okay. Um, because you have collected company, <laughs> and uh, so uh, yeah, kind of out of nowhere, you can just like really get hit pretty hard. Um, to your point, this set has been really, really, really good for standard. Um, and I don't know that it's really changed the top three decks: Mono White, Grixis, and Esper. But it's made a whole slew of new t- second-tier decks, Tier 2 decks, that are capable of beating those decks from time to time. I don't know that they're favored. Like this green-white deck, I don't know that it's favored against Esper yeah. Legends, but it, could, it can definitely pull out a win. It could definitely do it. Whereas the Tier 2 previously was embarrassingly bad. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, and so... There is still that kind of hierarchy, but I think it's gotten a lot better. Jund has also gotten a lot, a lot, a lot better. There's a couple variations of Jund. There's one with the new um, Tyvar, the, the the Planeswalker that's like super low to the ground Jund. But then there's also like a, you know, the Wind Grace Jund. Both have gotten a lot better. Um, the mind reels at what would be actually going on if we freed ourselves of Fable of the Mirror Breaker, but uh, spoiler. Yeah. You're not going to anytime soon, <laughs> and it's it's way 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 too good. I've mostly like found the most success with Esper Legends when I want to just sit down and actually win some rounds. But I've played Blue White Control, Blue Black Control, uh, both variations of Jund. I've tried a lot of this set, and I think standards it's a net positive. And the the shame of it is standard really wasn't on the radar. Um, this mm-hmm. last week because of the Pro Tour. So I, I don't know this this set is getting credit for what it deserves. However, on the limited front, Cameron, I want to report that um, I was completely correct with my assessment of this format. <laughs> it's bad, way too fast, way too bomby. Blue is way too terrible. However, I keep telling myself I'm going to stop when I run out of gems. And that has yet to occur, Cameron. Nice, dude. Nice. Okay. I've opened like a lot of this set this way. Um, I know this is coming off as a humble brag, but it's literally I'm just drafting a bunch of two and three drops in red or white and then just turning them sideways and, oh, look at that. Another <laughs> four and three draft on a bad one. You know, like it, mm-hmm, it just be kind mm-hmm. of it becomes this like silly. And sometimes I'll have a deck that I'm thinking. This thing is liquid death. I'm going to go 7-0, and then I'll go 4-3 because I've played against Blue Sun Zenith twice. Or I'm sorry, Blue <laughs> Sun's Twilight twice. And that card is essentially unbeatable. Um, same with the... the uh, I always want to call it the Wandering Emperor, but it's the the Emperor something. The, six yeah. man, the one that you six don't beat in Limited. Yes. Ever. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, 
that's that's my quick analysis on this. And it was kind of front and center because like old Pro Tours, this Pro Tour had draft plus whatever constructed format. And it's kind of a shame because it's really not that great. But here we are. I'm playing it probably too much. Also, because the format is so fast and there's a website called 17 Lanes <laughs> that charts all these things. They have charted this is the fastest format ever. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Which kind of blew my mind because Zendikar definitely had a reputation. I don't know if they're only charting Arena, though. Um, but the idea that something could even be discussed as as fast as triples in is pretty absurd. Yeah. Um, can we talk about Explore and Pioneer within the context of this Pro Tour? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you watched any of this Pro Tour, Cameron, or have any ideas. Like I, I do want to talk about it. Like this is the first non-arena Pro Tour in like many years. Live in-person card playing. People got invites. They played live. Maybe we should start here. As a TV producer, can you get me inside the head of why they framed it this way? I I don't know. Uh, because you know, you sent me a, a sent me a text of the the top down, and there's just so much empty space, and I. I feel like there are ways it's called zoom. <laughs> oh, where where you can like maybe zoom in on those cards a little bit because you know maybe it's you're unfamiliar with some of these cards. Um also they've printed so many variants of these cards that you may not recognize no kidding. really important cards where it's like what is that what is that, right? So yeah, that it was weird. It was weird how it was kind of just ultra wide shot, um, where it was almost like a too much of a safety net, just in case like the player was throwing them around or whatever. But I don't know. Um, I would have had a camera that has a zoom lens. <laughs> or or theory theory here, you do it for the way that Magic's been recorded for the previous thirty years, mm. like the East West thing. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I have trouble, maybe, because somebody theorized, so maybe they're just trying to get it to mirror arena. Yeah. Which I think we can all agree is a terrible idea. Um, unless the players are going to make the growl noises when the certain creatures come down and all that. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, <laughs> animated. Whoa. <laughs> Guys, I made a flip book here. Um, <laughs> yeah. But. The East-West thing, basically what I'm trying to say is people are, oh, this will line up more with the arena so it doesn't confuse people. I, I This is the same argument as we can't do best two out of three because it might confuse people. Yeah, yeah. You cannot tell me that there is a human being that understands the game of Magic the Gathering at all and does not understand the concept of best two out of three <laughs> or understand the concept of we are in the middle of the table as though you are watching it, not playing it. Like, I, some of these decisions, and we're about to be very positive, and I'm really happy the Pro Tour has come back, but sometimes I just, these are unforced errors that shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I just want to, you know, in the words of the great immortal po poet, Michelle Branch, I just want somebody who cares, you know? <laughs> 
And uh, shout out in case you had a bingo for Michelle Branch coming up on this episode. <laughs> uh, but it's just like, who made this decision? How did nobody go, hey, that camera framing is wrong. You should not <laughs> yeah. be doing this. You know? Anyway. It's awesome to see the return to professional magic. Okay? Mm-hmm. If you get a second camera in to watch some of these matches, there's some great stuff, great games that take place. I think it's archived on YouTube. Uh, for a while, they were just showing it on the archive on Twitch, which the t- Twitch app is a nightmare to go back and watch something that's yeah. not live. So I wish they wouldn't do that. But there's some great, great play that happens. Let's, let's have the hard conversation about Pioneer. Because you're a huge Pioneer guy. I love a lot about what Pioneer and Explorer bring to the table. But not even kidding you, the finals, the guy, it was Auras versus Creativity. And the Auras guy knew the only way he could win is if he found Glade Cover Scout, which is the Hexproof 1-1. Mm. So he was like mulling to like four cards to try and find a Glade Cover Scout. Right. And it was like a kind of non-game. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and if he would have found the Glade Cover Scout, it would have been a non-game in the other way, right? So am, am I pushing the panic button too soon for the kind of non-interactive nature of Pioneer, or should we have a discussion about what needs to go? Yeah, uh, both. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it, it's weird. M- me going to a Pioneer uh, Monday night event here, it's very similar to going to Legacy at my shop. It's like a pocket of like people who have their decks, and it just feels like the closest analog I'm ever going to get to Legacy. Mm-hmm. But that's just like you know one store in Des Moines, and is not representative of the rest of the world. Uh, when I see these types of decks, and I'm realizing like, oh man, I've actually never played against creativity in pioneer you know like that's a problem <laughs> now it probably to. will be yeah uh now I, I will you know but when i see like what these decks do and the non-interactive nature of it um that makes me think like yeah maybe it's maybe it's okay to address some of these cards specifically um um, we could just go down the list of like the who's who <laughs> it's very there, there's some usual suspects here um but yeah, I guess that's that's really uh, where I'm at. Like, I think there's still a lot of potential for Pioneer, but it's also like this is the first Pro Tour where we've had, and this format has existed for three years now. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe four. Yeah, and I, I mean, there's just never. I mean, we've never seen it actually operated in a pro level way, so. I don't know. It's early on where I feel like it's okay for these decks to exist. It's just now Wizards needs to put the effort into the format. Yeah, and then you kind of get into this, like, what's the enabler versus the bannable card, right? Because yeah. maybe creativity is a fine card, but Fable of the Mirror Breaker, like, really enables it, you know, maybe too quickly. Uh, fires enigmatic creativity. Like, I play that in Explorer, and I feel like the, that's one of those decks that the Pioneer Explorer difference is really, really big because Chain to the Rocks isn't on um, mm-hmm. Arena. 
and that basically really helps your aggro matchups. Um, and so you kind of get steamrolled by mono white, mono red spirits when you're playing creativity on arena, but in Pioneer, clearly that matchup's a lot better. Yeah. Um, but you can also turn three, play Leyline, Binding, and then turn four, creativity that into an agent of treachery. I've done that many times, and it's really, really, really nasty. Um, so point being is, I think Pioneer actually has a lot of quality of life benefits too. It really sticks out to you how little you're watching sh- people shuffle um, because there's no fetch lands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that's really great to see happen. And the lands kind of like your mana base feels like it matters. And look, I've cracked my sh- fair share of fetch lands. But when that became the, the thing across two eternal formats, it's kind of played out a little bit. And modern has that. Like if I yeah. want to play fetch lands and all that, I can play modern. But I do, I do think that Watsy really needs to reconsider how they're handling this going forward with standard. I feel like non-rotating formats are unbelievably great for GPs or Magic Fest or Magic Cons or whatever expression you want to use because there's a lot of local level players that they've had their same deck like you're describing and they're going to show up with it. They're going to spend their money. They're going to have a great time and they don't feel the rush. Pro players, I think there's an onus on them to innovate. And standard, you want to display the new cards. Yeah. And even the worst standard formats, the finals are an interactive game of Magic the Gathering. <laughs> but whenever I'm watching somebody mulligan to four and auto-lose in the finals, I think we need to have a conversation about using that format to dictate what's going on. Yeah. And I, I just, I know it's such an unpopular opinion, but we need to have a rotating format for competitive magic. Whether that rotation is longer, we can have that conversation. If, if that's going to help people, like, it, you know, sets only rotate every three years or something, awesome. Like, that's, that's a discussion I'm willing to have. But to say that there's no rotation at pro-level events and you're going to have three pro events a year, that's going to yeah. get real stale really fast. So... Anyway, that's my two cents, dude. If if you have a chance to go back and watch some of these games, though, they're very, very, very cool. Um, if you want to see every suspicion you've had about this limited format confirmed, you can definitely <laughs> watch this too, right? Um, and also, just please, God, guys, just stream it on YouTube. <laughs> the yeah. app is so much better. What are we doing? Anyway, Cameron, any other thoughts uh, with any of this pro stuff? I'm just going to reiterate, it's great to see uh, Paper Magic being played at high levels. It, it's inspirational, honestly. I mean, like, I know I'll never reach that level, but it, it inspires me just to want to go and play, honestly. Yeah, and it makes you want to try those decks. Yeah. I watched a dude play Creativity, and now I can't remember his name. Um and that made me want to go and play it on and find the differences and all that. And I spent an evening playing creativity, right? Yeah. It's a really good form of advertising, guys. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. All right. Hey, let's get out of this segment, come back, and talk about... Cameron, have you written Star Trek on this? <laughs> all right. We'll be right back. All right, Cameron. 
So there's been apparently and alarmingly three seasons of Picard. Yeah. How are you feeling about this, man? Uh, so uh, that first season of Picard was garbage. It made me so angry watching it. I didn't even watch the second season. Uh, but this third season, it's doing something different. It removed the main showrunner, Alex Kurtzman, who I think is just... He, how that guy continues to get hired to do stuff is beyond me. So he's still an executive producer of of um, Star Trek Picard, but like there is a new showrunner. Um, okay. So I, I mean, Alex Kurtzman, he's like famous for you know the Amazing Spider Man two, which was just awful, and like Transformers one and two. I mean, he's he has a track record where I just he just does not jive. I'm, go- well I'm with googling me. him right now. Yeah. So you, you continue. Uh, okay. So anyway, uh, Star Trek season three, new showrunner, and they're bringing back all the original cast. Uh, so in a way, this feels like that reunion thing that the movies just never quite got to with the Next Generation cast. Um, I'm two episodes in. Um, I'm just watching it as it is released on Paramount+. Plus, and I am so hopefully optimistic about where they're heading with this, like everything, to the point where... What works is that they understand the characters. Like, you can have your characters change over the course of 23 years. I totally get that. And you can make it edgy and cinematic looking. And that's great. But I just felt like those first two seasons, well, the first season, like, none of those character motivations really, like, it it just, it was like they're creating almost melodrama out of it rather than, you know, interesting What Star Trek is? Yeah, what Star Trek is. So anyway, uh, this feels like Star Trek 2, Wrath of Khan meets Star... I mean, it's pulling from a lot of different things to, I think, evoke a certain type of uh, emotion. And um, it's working on me. So, I mean, you know, as soon as I get to see Worf or Geordi LaForge, man, like, uh, my heart swells. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for that. Which one's Geordi? He's the blind guy. Where's oh, Reading Rainbow. Reading Rainbow, yeah. That's all you had to say. Uh, I, I Look, I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm really glad that this guy makes a living. Um, but I'm going through his credits. Oh, yeah. 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 Cameron. <laughs> it's amazing how, like, how you can be honestly so bad at your job, yet still get hired to do things. It just it makes a lot of sense, maybe in certain other professions, where it's like, how does this person continue to fail upwards? <laughs> There is a lot of failed TV here and movies. So, wow, that's incredible. Shout out to him for continuing to persist. Right? So, yeah. um, so Cameron, I want to I wanna just talk a little bit about the process I just went through shopping for an iPad. Wife lets me know, hey, I would like an iPad. I want something for, you know, better or different video quality than my phone. Do you know how much of a nightmare it is to find an iPad that is the right specs for you? Mm. Yeah, I do. It's awful. (laughs) There are six baseline iPads. Somehow, and I don't know that I understand this, the mini is more expensive than the regular. Yep. 
I get, I conceptually understand the pro. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm a photo editor. I want to do that tablet wise. I don't know that I understand the difference between an air and a not air. And I also don't know that I understand like why some of the even by Apple standards, some of the accessories are so like r- ludicrously priced. Like the keyboard yeah. I believe is $250. Yeah, for a keyboard. <laughs> And I'm just asking for some help here. So I bought, I ended up buying my wife a nine and I'm like relatively sure I'm going to return it within a week because okay. I think the video quality is atrocious. Maybe mm-hmm. she'll like it because it's for her. But I, I guess I'm, I'm just having trouble squaring what this company is versus what they used to be. You're an Apple guy. You're an Apple home guy. You're. And, and I mean, I have an iPhone. I've had an iPhone this entire time, all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But should I have just bought a different tablet? <laughs> That's the thing. I don't know. Um, because I, I'm still in the iPad ecosystem. Um, and the iPad, I got, I got like the M1 version of the Air. And I got it like, it was like $100 off. It was just the base model. And it's fine. And it like has a great screen. I think the camera's fine. I honestly, I don't really use it for the camera. Mine is mainly a media consumption device. It's what I read comics on and mm-hmm. what I watch most of my TV on, honestly. So yeah. like for that purpose, it works really, really well. Um, it's probably, I know it's it's overkill for like what I am actually doing on an iPad because I'm not doing heavy video editing or photo editing or anything like that or even gaming really. So I, I know mine is overkill for what I do, but- I have no regrets about owning that. Uh, that being said, like, yeah, like, it's so weird that, like, I remember when in the 90s, Steve Jobs had come back to Apple and, like, Apple was just like this, you know, floundering company at the time in the 90s. I mean, they were legit, <laughs> not a good company, right? I yeah. like very clearly remember that. Um, and he came in and, you know, wiped the product list down to, like, four essential things, you know, like, and that was it. And for better or worse, whether you agree with how Apple did that or not, in a marketing and consumer side of things, it's brilliant because, you know, the lack of choice, like unlimited choice is actually crippling, right? And so like Mm -hmm. having limited choice is actually a good thing for as a consumer. And I just don't understand how like this company, I can't even tell you, like when they had like their their iPhone events or their iPad events now, dude, it's just confusing as far as like what is what and what is considered pro and all that stuff. It's just the company's lost is what I'm saying. So like I am so frustrated most of the time with like their products. And I mean, I still like the MacBook. Mm-hmm. You know, I still like my phone, but like I really look hard at that Pixel. Um, Google phone every once in a while. Yeah, I guess it's just a bummer. Yeah. You know, not everything yeah. can be great for a while. I know, like, multiple people have talked to me because they know I'm a watch guy. They're like, hey, have you seen that the Apple has the new uh, hardcore can hold a charge for four days or whatever watch? And it's like, 
Yeah, very, very, very uninterested. My G-Shock yeah. has held a charge for approximately 12 years. So <laughs> I think I'll stick with that, you know. Um, it, it's just, it, it is what it is. Uh, but I was just kind of alarmed at the lack of simplicity. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I wanted better clarity. I didn't want it to be the experience of buying a TV or buying any of these other consumer electronics where you're just kind of crippled. And what's weird is we're now in this reverse world where, don't get me wrong, Microsoft has got a lot of problems, a lot. But it's like their laptop offering is much more clear than Apple's, yeah, which is really unthinkable, is. which is unthinkable, right? So, yeah. Oh, I forgot about it. Just get her a Surface, man. Just <laughs> I should have. Yeah. I should have, and I didn't. And she said, hey, I want an iPad. I said, hey, no problem. God knows she has to put up with me uh, buying enough for myself. Um, so here we are, right? But, all right, Cameron. So if someone would like to get a hold of you and talk you through all the differences of all the different M chips on the Apple devices, where could they find you? That's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I'm Matt Curtis now. Our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We'll check you guys next week.